0: Welcome to Songwriter Trysts, an intimate podcast that is connecting songwriters from all over the world. I'm singer-songwriter Ray Lee and your host for this show. Music saved my life and I want to talk to other songwriters about the power of songwriting, talk about their journey and how they got to where they are today. This is a safe space to share stories, lessons and emotions, all the great things that build an amazing song. To a songwriter tryst with Haley Marsden. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Good. So, we've met before, but we met a long time ago, and I was a completely different person. And I we kind of <laughs> so was I. Randomly met each other at the Q Music Awards this year. So yeah, this is cool to catch up. But I feel like I have to get to re-know you. So, in your own words, tell me, who are you? And where do you come from?
1: I am Hayley Marston. I come from Gladstone in central Queensland. I am a songwriter and a musician and many other things. I'm a Gemini, so I guess that kind of is an excuse for
0: it. What's the Gemini's traits?
1: Well, Gemini is the twins. Okay. So it's like you've got two sides of your personality, which <laughs> okay. I was just thinking about this morning. Is I don't think it's a proper you know, excuse for the way my personality runs. But I am like an extremely, one day I'll be like, I hate everything I've ever done. Mm -hmm. I suck at this. I should quit music. And then the next day I'm like, I am a gift to this world. (laughs) Who is she? Like just overly confident. So I don't, maybe that's my own (laughs) mental health issues. But
0: yeah. Okay. So so you're Gemini. Sorry. I was just yes. curious. because, like, I actually don't know what that means. So now I know. Keep going.
1: I, yeah, I don't know what else to say. Okay. I, I don't have a lot. I realized last year that I don't have a lot of hobbies outside of music. So I'm trying mm. to procure some because that seems what a balanced person would have. So mm-hmm. I have started roller skating and I'm Ooh. rediscovering a love of cooking mm-hmm. and I'm much better at one than the other. It's, I'm not a very good coordinated person. So it's kind of
0: like watching a (laughs) a giraffe trying to roller skate for the first time. Yeah, I did rollerblades when I was younger, but I have a few friends that are getting into roller skating. It's like this retro cool thing that people are doing now. It looks cool.
1: (laughs) It's exactly right. It looks cool. And I feel like... It's a really great ego equaliser <laughs> because sometimes they would be like, oh, I'm really getting this and then I'll completely stack it. Yeah. So no serious injuries yet, touch wood. <laughs> but, yeah, I think 2020 has thrust a lot of people into new hobbies that they
0: probably never thought that they would pick up. Yes, I've seen a lot of people baking bread in the last yes. 12 months. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. So music is your, like, number one thing. Tell, And you said you're a songwriter and... You kind of called it a bit of a hobby, but we're not trying to make it more than just a hobby,
1: well, yeah, it's not a hobby it's just i don't I feel like everything that used to be a hobby of mine I've turned into part of my job, yeah nice. so which is great and exciting and fun, but also I'm like, I wish I could just do something and not try and monetize it
0: yeah, but oh, maybe that's just a part of your personality, yeah, yeah, so. Tell me how did music like how did that become a passion before you started to monetize it like how did you get into it
1: I I say monetize it like I'm some kind of financial <laughs> genius I'm not needs I'm, to make money
0: it's <laughs> a part of life
1: <laughs> That's right. I grew up as an only child in Gladstone so mm. I was making my own fun for most of my life and I started writing songs when I was about 6 or 7 and I remember just being so overjoyed when i got a tape recorder cuz i could record my own songs onto it like i was singing oh, you know. Singing, and then I would also record like a radio show. Like I would pretend I was on the radio, and I would have. Get out! I, did I would that. sing the songs. <laughs> I did that. <laughs> just like
0: <laughs>
1: really chill stuff. We but found yeah, those always, tapes.
0: Like that would be hilarious. Oh, uh, I would die. I just
1: <laughs> me too. It was not good. But yeah, I think I've always just been a bit of a show pony. I remember like my parents would have um, dinner parties quite often and we'd have like their friends and my dad was an accountant so sometimes he (laughs) would have his clients come over and I would be like, okay, everyone, now it's time for the entertainment part and I would like make them all sit down And I had fashioned, uh, we had like a beam Mm. in our rumpus room that I would peg sheets onto so I could have curtains that open,
0: you know, the whole nine yards.
1: And then I would force everybody else, if there was children at the dinner party, I would force them to become part of my show. And, you know, I was very generous. I didn't charge for this. It was free (laughs) for them to enjoy. Very generous.
0: (laughs) <laughs> because it was your passion, right? You weren't trying to monetize things at this stage. No, I was not really being a very good accountant's daughter at that point <laughs> because I was just like, yeah, come and watch my show for free. Yeah, well, my son, he's eight, but he still, he makes tickets and he tells me I have to buy them with pretend money, but I still have to buy a ticket. <laughs> <laughs>
2: down my door Then I spent months putting up walls Do you ever think I miss her When you remember me How I'm a good kisser
0: change like were you in high school when you were like all right I'm going to become a songwriter and this is something I want to get to the point where I'm releasing and performing in public
1: I don't know if I was just had an inflated sense of self for Mm. most of my young life but I was always like yes well I'm going to be a musician when I grow up like that's there's no other option really is there (laughs) and I think I was getting to like year seven or something and we had gone to one of the high schools in my hometown to go to like a career fair or something and there wasn't really anyone talking about the music industry and I'm like, oh, maybe I can't do this. Maybe I need to think about, you know, at quotations, real job real to job. get. Yeah. And I, ha- I hate that sound. I, I think... was going to wait for those
0: birds to stop, sorry.
2: Yeah, sorry. sorry. We have real an job. aggressive
0: crow. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. We'll cut it out. Real um, job.
1: Yeah, so... Yeah. I was – yeah, maybe like thought I had to get a real job or something and when I – oh, my God, let me just close the window because okay. <laughs> we have a poor tree and the crows come and try and attack
0: it and it's the same crows yeah. every time. they are very loud, aren't they? Sometimes they get like – we've got construction going next door and they had oh they were pouring concrete this morning and I was like, oh, no, this is not going they're
1: finished now, thank goodness. So. Anyway, hang on, I think I just knocked my microphone. Yeah, so <laughs> I felt like – Maybe I had to get a real job. Mm. And so when I went into high school, this love of music and wanting to be a musician, wanting to write songs became almost like a shameful thing for me and I didn't want to tell anybody because I thought they would say, oh, well, you'll never be able to do that. Like I, Mm. It was like the thought of people maybe saying no was too overwhelming for me to even talk about it. And I think... I'm sorry, that crow is going to
0: just keep that's going. Right, that's fine. We'll just, it, <laughs> it, it's, it is what it is. It doesn't matter. Bit We're in Australia. Undies. I completely identify with what you're saying. Like I didn't tell anyone that I was a singer or a songwriter and like if they knew it was not on purpose, you know, like they'd find out about it. But I also sang like subconsciously during class. Like I didn't mean mm-hmm. to. I would just <laughs> be humming and then I'd get in trouble. But it's, it is a, it's a funny thing because like when you have a dream – I don't know. I don't know if it's just maybe our generation or something, but like there was a thing around dreams and being realistic, and apparently, like, and it and mm. dreaming was bad. Yeah, I, do you know? And like, I don't know where that came from. I think it's almost like the Australian
1: horrible habit of us to have tall poppy syndrome and just want to be like, oh, well, you'll never be able to do that sort of thing. Mm. And you know, I, I did grow up in a small town. And I had heard people, you know, say that kind of stuff about other people who had, you know, had dreams and whatever and I didn't want to be on the receiving end of that so I just didn't even give people the chance Mm. to support me because I was too scared of them,
0: you know, doing the opposite. Yeah. And, yeah, we shouldn't shame people, should we? I think it's taken a long time. I feel like there is a little bit of More understanding, maybe it's just because I'm hanging around more artists. I don't don't know, yeah. I
1: think (laughs) it definitely changes when you surround yourself with people who actually, you know, encourage you to have dreams and aspirations and and all that kind of stuff. Mm. But yeah, I think when I, sorry, I'm like really taking a long way around to this answer. Okay, when I was in year nine, my parents split up, and so. you know, that was really difficult for me. I was an only child. I didn't have anybody else to sort of Mm. lean on. And so I was like, well, I guess I'm just going to, I just sort of threw myself into music because I needed something to, I guess, support me emotionally in a way. And so I started doing a lot of musical Mm theatre and I made a lot of really great friends through that and I got a lot more confident. I was, I went through like being really confident as a young Child And then as I came into high school, I was just incredibly shy. Yeah. So, so shy around people I didn't know. And so, yeah, doing musical theatre, I also had a really wonderful drama teacher who really encouraged me and, you know, made me feel like I was good at this thing that I loved. It sort of drew me out of my shell. And I think... That's when I sort of – they are the best. My drummer teacher, Mrs. Pitt, actually ended up being one of my music videos, so that was really special. But, yeah, I I sort of picked up songwriting again and I started playing guitar and this was also the time where Taylor Swift had just released Fearless, Mm -hmm. which was such a huge album for me and I was learning all the songs from her back catalogue basically every afternoon after school and, yeah, I think it just sort of gave me something to look forward to and to aspire to be like because I'd written most of my life and none of the bands that my friends listened to really wrote about stuff in such an honest way. So I just thought I was bad mm. <laughs> at songwriting because I was like, oh, but I want to tell the people this story. So, yeah, I think definitely in high school I was like I really love this mm. and I I don't know how I can not do this.
0: Yeah. I want to I kind of want to go back to what you said about music supporting you emotionally because honestly that's probably the core of this entire podcast birth is that music can support us in a way that nothing else really can I think especially yeah. when we're going through an emotional crisis where we don't really know or have a vocabulary to understand what's going on within ourselves and within our bodies What was that process like for you when your parents separated and you turned to music? Do you remember or have you processed much about like what that actually did for you and how that worked?
1: Yeah, actually, I mean in the past 12 months I have started going to therapy really regularly and I think like explore a few things through that has really opened my eyes to how much – that I have relied on music and my career in music, both good and bad. You know, I'm sure everyone was having a a horrible time last year, like let's Mm -hmm. not sugarcoat it. But I found it really difficult because I had tied my self-worth to being able to work. Mm -hmm. And I kind of, when all of my work got taken away, it was a really horrible time for me. And yeah, I
0: identity crisis yeah Mm. a a
1: huge identity crisis I don't think I've been in a worse place
0: I'm sorry sorry to hear that It must have been really hard
1: thanks yeah no it, it was really difficult but I yeah so I started going to therapy and I sort of had to discuss you know why I put so much emphasis of who I am and my worth as a person on my ability to perform to achieve in music and I had a light bulb moment one day when I was like, people around me haven't always been there for me, but music always has. And it sounds Mm. so cheesy, but I've always been able to get some kind of, you know, gratification or sense of worth or achievement through my music career. Mm. And so, you know, I, I can tie certain parts of my career to the worst points in my life where I was literally the the reason like me having a career in music was the reason I kept going. And so I think it yeah, it probably started when I was 14 and my parents were divorcing and I had no idea what to do. So I'm like, well, I need something to channel all these friggin' emotions into. And so yeah. I think that's just been a habit for me from then. And obviously it's not always the healthiest thing. And so I have worked on that. But mm. I do really believe that having this outlet to express your emotions through songwriting is an incredible tool that I wish everyone could have somehow because, like, I, I always thought that, oh, you know, this this songwriting was therapeutic. I would always be like, ugh, whatever. Mm-hmm. Until I wrote something that I'm like, holy shit, <laughs> that was very therapeutic.
0: <laughs> yeah. And sometimes I don't make the best songs to sing in front of a, a crowd, but they're the best songs to sing when you're not feeling great and you're sitting at home yeah. and you're like, I just got to get it out. Someone, um, I was doing a radio interview the other day and someone said, oh, it's like a pressure valve, isn't it? And I was like... That's the best word to say mm. for me. It was like I could feel, feel the pressure that builds up inside us emotionally. For me, I definitely internalise a lot and mm-hmm. so that pressure mm-hmm. really builds up and then to be able to just sit and let it out on a piano or a guitar or a musical instrument of choice, it is. It's just like opening the pressure valve and going, oh, I can breathe, you know, like
1: <laughs> yeah, I can, I can let exactly. it
0: out. And music and doesn't let you down, sorry. does it? No, that's right. Yeah.
1: No, I think it is sort of, you know, having written and also gone to therapy, I feel like when you're writing, you're revisiting an emotion and you're trying to process it, which is exactly what you do when you go to therapy. So mm-hmm. I feel like I've sort of thrown away my notion of it being like a woo thing that songwriting is therapeutic because it is like, it is literally therapy. Oh, yeah. If
0: you're doing it honestly and authentically. Oh, it saved my life absolutely, and mm-hmm. it was never something like I didn't share my love for music with anyone either, because I thought that I had this and it sounds weird when I say it out loud, but I believed that if people put me down and shamed me for it like you, or if they didn't like it, that I would lose my love for it or my passion or like and yeah. and I would lose my pressure valve and yeah. And I've seen people do that. You know, they've gone and auditioned for Australian Idol or they would go to university and study music because they loved it so much and I've seen them come out of those experiences hating music and really not mm. wanting to do it anymore. And being very aware of seeing people go through it, I'm like, you know, nah. I can't afford to lose my pressure valve. I, I too would probably kill myself if I didn't have music. So it took me a really long time to recognise that no one can actually take that away from you. No one can take my music away from me. It's something that I and only I ever have full control over. And it was only once I realised that much later in life that I was comfortable with sharing it with people.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's more than just something that you have a dream for. I think it's something that you have to do Mm. if it's really, you know, ingrained into you. I don't think that it was an accident that I started writing songs when I was six, like... Mm. I think it was something I was supposed to do, whether it be as a career path or just something I did for myself, I feel
0: like... You were naturally drawn to it. When it's
1: in you, like you and I, it's just, you know, we are just going to do it probably mm. forever.
0: And it's healthy. Like there, there is, you know, lots of people, we, we all deal with stuff. Like we all deal with divorce or abandonment or, you know, like we've all got our stuff. Like everyone's got stuff. Yeah. And we all deal with it in different ways and i think the best thing about art in general is a creative form of expression which is therapy but it's a creative form of expression that doesn't have to be words or vocabulary and it allows you to get it out rather than keeping it in and pressing it down and suppressing it you know with drugs or alcohol or other forms of addiction and things that can maybe mm. help numb the pain it's sometimes i think that's why art is so powerful is it because it gives us a way of getting it out of our bodies and out of Ourselves and not having to hold it anymore. I don't know if that makes sense, but
1: no, it it totally makes sense. (laughs) I think, like you said before, some songs you write and it's not really the easiest thing to sing in front of a crowd. And I've definitely Mm -hmm. written a lot of songs like that. Thought, oh, maybe this is a bit too much and I shouldn't share this. But then Mm. kind of going the opposite route and being like, but it's so much that it might be something somebody else's so much and maybe you know, they might feel less alone if they heard this song and I think that's why I was so drawn to songwriting because people were writing songs that I felt understood by listening and so I mm. think that's why I have written stuff that has been so honest because I I don't want people to feel, I don't mean, that sounds so like, oh, I'm doing so much. <laughs> but like I, 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 the songs that have been really difficult for me to record have been the ones that I get the most messages
0: yeah cool i find the opposite i find the ones that i connect to the most people run from the most but i don't know if i yeah i emotionally people are
1: emotionally blocked yeah well that's definitely
0: a part of it like people project onto you no matter what and if they're not dealing with their shit (laughs) then you know they're not going to be able to deal with yours and i think Like with me, one thing that's been hard because the thing that helped me get through with music was the child abuse and it's child Mm -hmm. sexual abuse and that is not an acceptable topic for anyone to talk about. So, you know, it's not something that comes up over the dinner table, right? Mm -hmm. And part of that actually makes the problem worse and so music like enabled me to express myself. But I have songs that are like not metaphors. (laughs) You know, they're songs of me just getting it out and saying this is how crappy it is and this is how it can be mm. and I've had enough, you know. And they're the ones I'm like probably I don't know if I could ever record that, you know. It's like and then I speak to people like, you know, saying what you say is like the most vulnerable ones are probably the ones that help people the most. And I'm like, oh, maybe it would but gosh, do I have to be the one to <laughs> to share yeah, that, I, you know. It's
1: That's incredibly brave to write about that stuff. So, like, I think you should count it as a victory that you've even – written it and gotten it out. And you don't, I think for me, like I've written about things that have been really upsetting to me Mm. and I've released them, but only because I thought that I could handle both positive and negative things. And I think sometimes there's things that we experience and and write about that don't necessarily have to be given over to everybody else, Mm. you know, stuff that is incredibly personal, like what that, you're talking yeah, about. I, yeah. I, you know, I think it depends on how much of yourself you're willing to open up. And it is really scary and vulnerable to be like, here's this song that's so personal to me. Now, love it or rip it to shreds.
0: <laughs> yeah. And that is what happens with music, right? Like, um, when you put something out there, it's like, oh, as an artist, if you are <clears throat> presenting your art to the world and Aka trying to monetize it <laughs> because <laughs> you want to keep doing it. That our job is essentially to be vulnerable and allow people to project their emotions onto what feels like us. Actually, they're projecting it onto the art, but because we're yeah. so emotionally connected to the art, it feels like us. And that that you have it takes a very emotionally strong person to to do that.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a weird contradiction because you have to be this incredibly vulnerable person to write all this music that is really honest and, you know, close to you as a person Mm. and then put it out into the world and suddenly not be that vulnerable person, suddenly be this very even-keeled, super confident person who doesn't care if people don't like it. But, I mean, Mm. I think everyone who is a performer, like in some way at some point and on some level, Just wants people to like them because that's basically performing. And it's such a (laughs) strange thing for your mental health to be like, okay, I'm going to do this job. Mm. And also, part of this job is selling myself as a person. Mm. And so, I've been trying, I've explained this in therapy to my therapist (laughs) to be like, and he's like, you know, I think maybe we need to try and separate, you know, Hayley as a person and Haley as a musician, I'm like, mm. but I am, the, that's the same, yeah. that's the same. So I think it is really confusing in that way and it does take a lot of, it t- takes
0: a lot of work yeah. to get okay
1: at it. There's <laughs> nothing wrong okay with the work
0: though. Yeah. Like, it's good work, you know, and we, can, we, have, we do a lot in our lives and this is something I've recognised just by doing the work I've been doing. I don't even know how long I've been doing therapy for, but I've done a lot and (laughs) I've needed it. But the more and more work I realise, the more things are in our world and in our society to avoid work, the work, Mm. the emotional work. You know, there is so much that we've created to make us feel stable. And I think COVID has highlighted to a lot of people that maybe were under that illusion kind of like the matrix you know the blue pill or the red pill like we've got we have built this essentially form of a matrix of society that is stable and what is accepted and what is not accepted and like it's actually very inhumane but I think for a lot of people that's what they've done to avoid dealing and doing the work and I don't know. That's yep. like, wow, that's such a big conspiracy theory. And now I sound like my <laughs> mum. So I'm going I'm to change the topic. Because <laughs> we could go on for this forever. And, and yep. like, yeah. <laughs> this right. is a therapy session. Surprise. Yeah, I feel like it, yeah. Okay. So tell me about what it is you want. Like, you're sharing you with the world. Why? What do you want people to get out of that from your music when you write? Do you have a, a mission?
1: I mean, I guess my highest hope and highest dream would be that when people listen to my music, which has been derived from, uh, I mean, if you look at my album, Spectacular Heartbreak, I mean, there's no real uh, prize for guessing I wrote it about a breakup, (laughs) but I, I guess with that, I really hoped that people who might've been in a similar situation, feeling very alone and confused and overwhelmed would maybe feel a little bit less of all of those things because you know I had been there too and I had written about it and you know you're not the only person who's ever been broken up with over the phone and had a really shit time afterwards but yeah I think I just I recently you know writing I've been writing new music and there's been stuff that I'm like oh I don't know if I should write about that or share this Mm. and then I think about who I was when I was nineteen or eighteen, <clears throat> sorry, yeah, and who I would have wanted to look up to and who i what I would have liked to have heard from the people I followed who were making music, yeah, and so I guess I kind of want to be the person I wish I had to you know to speak frankly about mental health about. You know, setting boundaries as a young woman and how to look after yourself and all of those things. I'm obviously not a perfect person in any respect, but I, I, think to just, I think, yeah, I just want to write about things that I would have liked to hear from people I respected and looked up to when I was, you know, in yeah. my early teens, early
0: 20s. I love that. So
2: hard to love you, but you just wouldn't let me. I put me down just to bring you up. some
1: I have just sort of fallen into things and been like, oh, I guess this is where I should go now because I had never co-written before I actually went to the DAG that first time when we met. I had always written alone and I, at that point, I also was very young. I think I might have actually still been, I might have been 19, maybe I was 20. Yeah. And I was very unsure of myself and I felt very overwhelmed at the thought of getting into a room with somebody else and having to Bear my soul to them because I didn't want to write about something that I hadn't been through mm. and so it felt really scary mm. and the I when think you put it that way was, yeah I'm very dramatic I think the dag was the perfect place to do that because you know everybody there is so lovely and supportive and so I think mm. to have that as my first co-writing experience was really special and sort of eased me into it but even going forward like fast forwarding I suppose to Writing for Spectacular Heartbreak. Mm. Um, Because I knew that most of the songs I was going to write were going to be pretty personal, and I felt like I needed to kind of talk about what happened so that they could be on the same page as me. I didn't want to write with anyone that I didn't know personally. So, in this wonderful way, I got to write my debut album with people that I'm actually very close friends with who I would see outside of the writing room anyway. And most of them already knew what had happened. And, you know, I didn't have to just go in and be like, hi, stranger, let me tell you about my life. So that was a really wonderful way to do it. But I think, you know, more recently I have been a little bit more confident into going into co-writes that with people that I don't know and sort of just being, I guess, brave enough to open up to people that I'm not like super close friends with. Because Mm. I think what I've found is that everybody has some kind of vulnerability deep down, and if the, I think if you're the first to show it, then the other person will just, you know, jump right in and be there with you yeah. because you've shown them that it's you know a safe place. So I think songwriting is a really beautiful practice of cutting through the bullshit and just being like, <laughs> look, this is how I'm really doing. Yeah, and I think it's a great equalizer. And I I don't think there's any other kind of art form that you can really be that like that is such a collaborative. Thing on such an emotional level
2: and mm. I think it's
0: really special and exciting that we get to do that. It's true isn't it? Like art is a very individual thing but when we get to collaborate with other people it's there's a level of connection which is why Trist but like mm. <laughs> there is a there's a level of intimacy that, that comes with yeah. it and I've definitely been in some co-writes where I'm like I don't like this person they don't make me feel good but the song's great <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know and so that can make it really hard because you want the song to be great but at the same time, it's tainted by this experience with that other person. So everything goes in, into it.
1: With yeah. um, If I'm in a co-write with someone that I really detest, I'm like, I'm out. Yeah. See ya.
0: Yeah.
1: It's, they have to be a really terrible person for me to do that.
0: <laughs> I'm questioning around, because you mentioned with Spectacular Heartbreak that you co-wrote with people that you know. I'd love to know who you co-wrote with if, if you're willing to share. But also that experience of what you went through and what inspired this Are you willing to share a little bit more about where it came from?
1: I have spoken about it for two years and it is not a subtle album, I'm sure. (laughs) These people know who it's about. Um, So, yeah, Spectacular Heartbreak I wrote over the course of two years and I conveniently went through two quite influential Mm breakups. I didn't – I'm not a – like I was never a serial dater. It just sort of (laughs) – happened Mm. accidentally. I guess, I think also at this point in time, I was like, oh, I guess, I guess I'm dating this person now. Like, lol, what can you do? I think (laughs) I wasn't that young, but I felt, it feels very young looking back. Mm. And so, yeah, it was, I was living alone for the first time in my life as a young woman. I had gone through these two breakups that had really affected me. And I think- I just – I didn't really know what to do with all the emotions because mm. I I felt like for most of my life, you know, with traumatic things that had happened to me, I just picked up and kept going and, you know, I'll just carry on and I'll just, you know, I'll show them, like I'll show yeah. them that they've made a mistake. <laughs> and I think I'd gotten to a point where I was like, I actually just can't yeah. do that anymore. I'm actually just really upset and I'm mm. just really sad. Mm. And so – I did a lot of processing of that and I wrote a lot of the record by myself first. And then I took songs to people that I felt like were good, but I just couldn't make them shine. And so I wrote with one of my best friends two songs, and he's in my band now, Kieran Stevenson, who's an incredible pop artist. Mm. We wrote the title track together and a song called call it a day. I wrote with Brad Butcher a song called oh, yeah. Red Wine White Dress. Yeah, nice. I wrote with Lynn Votel on mm-hmm. a song called Wendy. I wrote with another one of my band members Byron Short on Cry in Your Beer, which was like <laughs> the sassy relief yeah. from the sadness. I say like it's a sad album, it doesn't I don't think it plays like a sad album. I think there's a lot of joy in there. Mm. And and then I wrote a song called Grocery Line with our good friend
0: Melody Moko. Yay, Grocery Line. Cool. Yeah.
1: So I think it was a really great experience to, you know, really be in the driver's seat and just choose who I wanted to share these songs with mm. and also keep some for myself. But I think like... <laughs> I was a bit, I don't know if I was naive or just incredibly brash and brave when this record came out <laughs> and I just came, I just was like, yeah, I wrote it about two breakups. Oh, for, I, I mean, I, say, I also wrote with my very good friend Imogen Clark on a song called Hit Your Wagon, speaking okay. of brash and brave. <laughs> I, yeah, so I came out and said, you know, I've written it about two breakups. Woohoo. Mm. And I think obviously being a woman and writing about your feelings, There is a certain degree of criticism that comes with that sometimes. I think after the absolute just like obliteration of Taylor Swift's dating life for most of her career, it's sort of just, you know, the go-to joke is like, oh, aren't you scared that no one will date you? And I'm like, not really.
0: Yeah, no one's going to date you because you're going to write an album about it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's a great album. Why wouldn't you want to date me? But I think Mm. the thing that really got to me was people saying, oh, you know, like, but it's good, right, because they've given you this album. And I'm like, well, mm. actually, I gave myself that album because yeah. of my hard work and determination. So.
0: Yes, you have. Well yeah.
1: It was a very emo- emotional time and it's a bit emotional, you know, leaving that record behind and moving on to new things as well.
0: Good therapy though. Yes, definitely. And, you know. The next one I can imagine will be an empowerment one of I don't need a man and
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> sorry, I don't my it. boyfriend, goodbye.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'd dump you this time.
1: That. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I will break up with him just for – no, I'm not going to
0: – I can see the headline now. Yeah. <laughs> no, the, the Australian version of Taylor Swift. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Because <laughs> she definitely did that. She had some where she was like, nah, you know – I'm in control now and you're just a game (laughs) I'm playing. Anyway, tell me what the best experience or best advice is that you've ever been given in this industry. I think something
1: that's always stuck with me is I was actually at the DAG and I had written this song called Coming Home about my parents' divorce actually. Mm. And I was really hoping that I would get to write it with Lynn Botel and at the dag they just draw names out of the hat mm-hmm. and she the, the universe smiled upon us and she drew my name out Yay. and so we were in the room and you know, I'd, I'd kind of laid all of this stuff bare to her about you know how I was feeling and, and why I'd written this and all that kind of stuff and we were going because I had written the whole song basically and she just went through and like picked out the stuff and she was like, well, you're not, you don't really want to say this. What you want to say is this. So you're already going to a very vulnerable place. Why don't we just go all the way? Because Mm. that's what's going to make this a great song. And I think, yeah, just keeping that in mind to be like, I'm already here. I'm already writing the song. Why am I going to try and sugarcoat it? Like I might as well just make it as honest as possible. And I do think that in the times where I've done that, that's when those songs have really become something that when they've been released, people have just gravitated to so much yeah. and and related to so much because, you know, if I had just coated, if I had sugarcoated any of the songs on Spectacular Heartbreak, it would have come across as the most inauthentic weird breakup album ever.
0: I'm glad that you had that. And I completely agree with her. I think it's if you're going to go there all the way. Yeah. Like yeah. feel it and feel it hard. <laughs> just you, you don't get through, like uh, even just treating it like therapy, you know, you don't get through it by just looking at the iceberg. You've got to kind of the tip of it, you've got to look at the deeper stuff and break it down bit by bit. And as you take off the tip of the iceberg, the rest of it, the stuff under the surface just rises to the top. Yeah, exactly.
1: Know? And I think that why bother if it's going to be, something half-baked like just do it you don't have to release it you don't have to show it to anybody you could just Mm. do it for you there's a lot of songs on Spectacular Heartbreak that I had written a really long time ago there's one in particular I wrote it's not an emotional song at all it was more like a seductive sexy thing and I was I loved it Mm. but I was like I can never write this I mean I can (laughs) never record this I'm not sexy but it was I just was a confidence thing for sure yeah like You can do whatever you want. And I also didn't want anyone else to have it. So I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to have to just. Do you think you're not sexy? I don't know. I think there's this weird narrative fed to young women that you can't be confident because you're up yourself. And so.
0: You can't be sexy because that makes you a slut.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so I was so. It's um, so, all lies, by the way.
0: Just so ex- of course, just
1: yeah, bullshit, absolute bullshit. But I had just bought into that narrative so much, yeah. and I was so afraid of people, yeah, calling me a slut or whatever else that I didn't want to. I didn't want to own my sexuality. I thought it was a bad thing. Mm. I thought that you know, outwardly saying that you know, yes, I could go up to a man in a bar and you know flirt with him that was like a dirty bad thing to do when mm. I had written a whole album about the fact that I had two boyfriends who yeah
0: somewhat liked me you even have two boyfriends at the same time not at the same time not that no, there's no, no, anything no. wrong with Who's that got the but time? <laughs> right <laughs> but like it is it's it is something that all women like we've had that you know thrust on us that you've got to be mm. this and that and like you like we've got to fit into something <laughs> it's exhausting. So exhausting and the reality is like Sex is an amazing thing. Like, I grew up in the church, and like, sex was bad, you know, like, this is just it's just bad, and you don't do it, you yeah. don't talk about it. And but then, like, then you see people get married, and it's like sex is still bad. It's like, actually, yeah. no, it, sex is an amazing gift that we are given as human beings that is there to be enjoyed in a safe, healthy way, but we don't talk about the safety stuff because there's so much focus on the bad stuff. And like, yeah, I, I could
1: know. talk about this a lot but that's not what I the to start a
0: podcast is. I gotta start a new podcast I reckon because I get into this topic way too often <laughs> yeah but I,
1: I 100% agree with you I think you know as a woman you're supposed to be this you know innocent virginal person who's untouched by men but also you have to know you have to be the greatest in bed and mm. like it's this impossible crossroads like you just you can't be everything and yeah. I think They want a lady on the exhausting.
0: streets and a freak in the bed isn't that the lyrics from That's the- exactly right. <laughs> yeah, that's what they exactly. want. Exactly. It's crazy and it, it's just insane. But, you yeah. know, it's only once we start to realize that those things that have been fed into us are insane and complete like just lies that we can start yeah. to realize it's okay to just be who you are. And enjoy life and enjoy the journey of not knowing because that is what we're all doing. All right. Mm. What about your favourite co-writing experience? If you could co-write with anyone in the world, who would it be, dead Mm. or alive?
1: All (sighs) of my – like all except one of my co-writing experiences have been absolutely amazing. What made this one one
0: particular one really good? Tell me.
1: I (laughs) – (laughs) so it wasn't – as such better. It was just so much, it was so easy. The song that I almost (laughs) forgot I wrote, uh, Hitch Your Wagon, a song I wrote with Imogen Clark, was, I had written like the hook line and that was about it, some of the chorus. And we wrote it in like 15 minutes or something. It was just so easy. It was like, We were just both on the same page so much that it was just like one mind. Imogen is also one of my best friends, so I think that probably fed into it. But I think a lot of my co-writes have been like that recently where I just am writing with people who I understand how their brain works so well that we can just, it's just like a a magical experience almost. Mm. Um, But if I could write with anybody in the world, it would 100% be Taylor Swift, but I probably Mm -hmm. would be too overwhelmed to write with her and I would like cry or something. Like I'm such, I'm a very embarrassing person when it comes to (laughs) seeing people that I admire even from afar, let alone meeting them. I'm not a cool person. I'm not like a, I'm not easy, breezy, beautiful, I'm a mess. So (laughs) I recently saw the Veronicas in a store in Brunswick Heads (laughs) and I freaked out so much. And I was wearing like my togs and I was like, oh, my God, I can't. My boyfriend was with me and I like walked up to him and I'm like, don't, please, please don't make a scene. But the Veronicas are in this store and I'm like, I was so overwhelmed. And he's like, why don't you just go up and say that you're a fan? I'm like, no, I can't look at me. I look like a troll. I can't go and meet them like this. I want them to think I'm cool. He's like. They're not, what do you think? uh, And I just, in my brain, obviously, I meet someone. They're like, oh, she she seems cool. Look at her cool outfit. Let's be friends. And so, yeah, we had to leave because I'm like, (laughs) this is too much. I remember going to a Taylor Swift concert and she came out into the audience and I was like two people away from her and I cried. (laughs) And I was like, this is not the person I thought I was. (laughs) Uh, I'm an uncool person as it turns out.
0: I don't think that makes you um, uncomfortable. 100
1: percent okay with that.
0: That obviously there's something in there that it it connects with you deeply about possibly being seen, and yeah, there's nothing that's a good wrong way with to that. It's so it. human. It's so human. And I have that. No, probably not with like like Taylor Swift. I'd probably be like, hey, yeah, let's write a song. But I have like this weird affinity with people in authority, like the prime minister or a priest at a church or something. Like people who I feel like I'm going to waste their time. Or, like, their, their time is super precious because they're really mm. important people. I've definitely had a complex with that that I've had to work through. Yeah. Um, yeah. Putting on I a think pedestal, when you're an
1: anxious person, I'm like, <laughs> I'm wasting everyone's time.
0: Those are the thoughts of, like, I'm not good enough or I'm a waste of space or I'm a burden on people and, like, I'm not as, I'm not as important as everyone else. And it's like that once you start to verbalise it like I'm doing now, um, which I never used to be able to do, then I can go, actually – that's not true. I'm just as important as everyone else. We're all human. We're all equal. We all poop and need to shower and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> so, like, there's a certain level of once you start doing therapy and you're talking things through and you get it out loud, you're like, yeah, right. We're all the same. We're all people yeah. and we're all dealing with stuff. And life is about living and connecting with each other. It's pretty boring. Yeah. And when I think sometimes
1: when you say those, you know, weird internal thoughts out loud, you're like, that's such a dumb
0: thing to say. Like right? so silly. But it makes so much more sense if it's not said, it's in your head. And that's the thing yeah. with thoughts. It's like they're actually really toxic if we don't get them out. And that's why like having shame around saying stuff like we were talking about earlier or shame around a belief or a dream that we have, then we can't – like there's so much power in our words and to be able to get things out. And that's why therapy's so great because it's confidential mm-hmm. and it's a safe space and you're paying someone essentially to be a good friend who's going to keep your secrets. It sucks. Yeah. But <laughs> – sometimes we need that level of security knowing that this person is professionally trained to deal with my bullshit and I can tell them that I am insane and I have a desire to eat toothpaste all day long and they're not (laughs) going to shame me for it. You know, like, do you know what I mean? I can say whatever I want and whatever is actually going through my head and then it's not until I say it that it's like, oh, actually I don't need someone to tell me that's stupid. (laughs) You know, it's just that's what it's there for and there's absolutely no shame in that. So I'm glad that you've been seeing someone. And that you've been getting help, and you've obviously grown a lot, and, and it shows by your ability to sing about it and talk about it. It's good.
1: Yeah, I think I feel when I started therapy, my therapist was like, "Just so you know, like, um, by the end of our sessions, your personality will probably be completely different." And I was like, "I, I don't want that. I don't, mm. I don't. I don't. I like who I am as a person." And now I look back, I'm like, you silly girl. You didn't want that. You don't want to internalise this shit, man. Like, yeah. I feel like I have grown. I feel so much older than I did last year.
2: That's um, a good line.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so hopefully
0: it doesn't show on my face, <laughs> and just in my brain. Emotional um, maturity yes, yes. is always a really good goal to have. Tell us what's coming up next for you. What are your goals for the next six, 12 months?
1: So at the moment, I don't know when this is going to come out, but we're in June right now Mm -hmm. and the last song from my EP Spectacular is coming out in two weeks Mm -hmm. on the 15th of June on my birthday Mm -hmm. and that's kind of going to be the last little thing that I do with this record Spectacular Heartbreak. The reason that I did this little EP is because I needed a bit more time I guess to say goodbye, I had a very different 2020 in mind after how successful the record was mm. and so I felt like I didn't really get to celebrate it as much as possible because after the record came out, like <laughs> I recorded and released it in 12 weeks which is absolutely bananas in yeah. itself and then after it came out, I was just on the road for four months and so I didn't really have any time to just kind of sit back and just be like, wow, I did it and so... Mm. This EP has kind of been like a thank you to all the people who supported the record because it was crowdfunded and just I guess a way for us to be like, yay, look at this thing that we've done. And also to get to revisit the songs that were filled with so much pain and sadness at times for me when I recorded them. Mm. Now almost three years on is... Really emotional and I I really did feel like it was a a spectacular celebration of that record. So (laughs) the last one is Spectacular Heartbreak and it is 100% my favourite version from the EP. And then I have brand new music coming out, so that's kind of another emotional thing to be like the end of an era and the start of a new one.
0: That's the the life cycle of being an artist, So, really. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any shows planned for the single release or
1: so we I haven't announced it I don't know when will this come out It'd probably be sure in a, about we'll a be. month so yeah uh, we're, okay, we're usually
0: six. around three four weeks behind unless there's a specific date that someone's after but
1: okay no that's fine so I will be doing two songwriter shows in Brisbane <laughs> and the Gold Coast Yay. at the start of July through my write like a girl series which yep. is a songwriting round that I run with Sarah Leet and we just put together a bunch of really amazing female songwriters and just make a safe space for people to talk about their inspirations and the stories behind their songs and also just give people who are coming to those shows a real insight into these wonderful songs and how they came to be. Amazing. I've
0: never heard of it, so I'm going to have to check that out. That sounds like fun. All right. Well, um, thank you so much for joining me. And I'm me. sure I'll see you around. And I'm going to come to write like a girl because that sounds like my jam. <laughs> Although, I'd... on the door. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much. And I'll let you know when it's ready to come out. But is there anything else you would like to say before we finish? I think that's it.
1: I don't know when the next, when the new stuff's coming out. So I'm not going to say it because yep. I'll probably change my mind. Sure. Don't know. So I'll just keep it
0: vague. It'll be on the website. Just... <laughs> <laughs> It'll be on the website. But
1: we'll, yeah, we'll thank you touch. so much for having me. This is such a beautiful chat. And I really, it's, yeah, I think. It's so wonderful to have these really, I guess, vulnerable chats with people. I I don't think that a lot of people usually have them. So I I think it's really great what you're doing, talking to people in this sort of space where they are really open, they're talking about their art. Mm. I think it's great for it to be out there so that other people can hear this and be inspired to have similar conversations with their friends. So like just... Well
0: thank done. you. I, really great. I hope it is inspiring for people and I sometimes see it as a, it's like a therapy session but there's like it's recorded and then published.
2: <laughs> so, My worst know, but, nightmare.
0: <laughs> but no, it's it's been really good and I'm just enjoying the journey and it's got a, a mind of its own, this stuff, but hopefully it's doing some good work out there. So yeah, thank you very much for being a part of it. It's been a good chat.
1: Anytime.
2: But it was tragic, confusing. Take. It was magic, moving, you're a good liar if that's fake But I don't call you mistake Sp- Thanks for joining our songwriter Tris today.
0: To join the family and keep up to date with future podcasts, you can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram and Twitter. Please leave a review and subscribe. To support the podcast or contact me or our guests, please go to the website, songwritertrists.com.